Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode number 35. I'm Art Regner, and our special guest is actually one of the original co-hosts of the, uh, the original Red and White Authority, and that, of course, is Hockey Hall of Fame writer from USA Today. Uh, Kevin Allen joins us. We're going to do a little bit of an overview of the uh, early impressions of the uh, NHL season, about 10 to 12 games in for most teams, and uh, let's bring Kevin in. Kevin, thanks for doing this. Always a pleasure. Yeah, always a pleasure to be with you, Art. And, uh, you know, you're right about this uh, NHL season. It's really been, uh, you know, uh, multiple surprises on teams that we didn't expect to be good, the Golden Knights of, of Vegas, and teams that we did expect to be a little better than they are, the New York Rangers, the Montreal Canadiens uh, in particular. And, uh, you know, how about the Los Angeles Kings? Didn't make the playoffs last year. Everybody wrote them off, and all of a sudden, you know, they have one of the better records in the NHL. Well, they really do. And, and a player that I think was given up for dead, and I think they took away the C off his sweater, was Dustin Brown, who seems to have revived himself this year. Well, yeah, and, you know, uh, to me, what that's all about is Ansi Kopitar has right. sort of had a, a revitalization, not in terms of um, his overall play, which, you know, was, was very strong. But, you know, it's, it's funny, he became a $10 million player, and he seemed to lose his offensive knack. Like last season, he just wasn't the offensive force. Now, was that Daryl Sutter? You know, he was just sort of, uh, you know, trying to play the way that Sutter wanted him to play, which is that good two-way center uh, role. Or was it just that he had an off season? But for whatever the reason, under John Stevens, um, you know, Kopitar has rediscovered his office, and funny how that works. Now Dustin Brown has discovered his offense as well, and uh, you know, still it plays a you know pretty feisty game. Right, and and the Kings were have been a bit of a surprise slash disappointment because. People looked at that roster and thought that they would be a contender for many, many years to come, and they have been all over the road. Well, they, they have been. Now, I, w I would say I think anybody who you know watched them closely during their championship year, and Dean Lombardi did his best to try to keep that group together, but as happens with championship teams, we've certainly seen it in Chicago, right. the, the erosion of the depth. Um, you know, the, the defense that, you know, used to be very, very deep, you know, they've lost a couple of guys here and there, and it really sort of makes, uh, you know, makes a difference. And, um, but I, I think, uh, you know, the one uh, constant uh, that's, you know, crucial to their success, and they didn't have him last year because of the injury, is Jonathan Quick. I mean, right. you know, Jonathan Quick is a difference maker, and uh, when you have a goaltender of his ilk, uh, you know, you can, you know, pretty much count on being in contention. And he's healthy again, and he's playing at a high level. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe that's also played a role in Kopitar, you know, being an offensive force again. You know, the biggest lie in hockey is when players say, no matter who's in goal, we play the same. Right. We have confidence in them both. Well, that's not really the way it works. You know, <laughs> if, you know, if your top guy goes down, you start to think, well, I better be a little more defensive. And, you know, I think it sort of throws everything off. So, for whatever reason, Kopitar, and as you mentioned, Dustin Brown, uh, are playing uh, better. And even the loss of Jeff Carter, who, you know, right. went down with a little injury. And, um, you know, they, they just keep rolling along. Right, yeah. They're, they've always... I, I think it goes back to childhood with those purple and gold uniforms or something. There have always been a team that I've always been aware of. And, of course, the famous thing, they're the L.A. Kings. And what do they have on their sweater? A queen's crown. So, <laughs> I, I don't know what, why, but they've always been a team that I've always kind of followed and, and have stuck with me. Uh, before we get into really looking at the league, let's uh, something happened in Red Wing land that Red Wing fans were... Uh, ecstatic about, and I think we who cover the team or follow hockey were a little bit puzzled by how this all 
played itself out, and that is Andreas Athanasiu is now back in Detroit. He turned down a two-year offer for 1.9 a season and settled for now a prorated contract for 1.35. He can go to arbitration. He's an unrestricted uh, free agent last year. Kevin, you know, I've been through a lot of, and you more than me, contract disputes and hassles, but this one I'm just trying to grasp. I just I can't really understand it. Well, I don't think anyone around the league really truly understands it. I mean, I, I, I think Anthony Sioux sort of uh, dug himself a little bit of a hole unintentionally, and uh, I think he... He wanted to use the KHL, you know, obviously for, um, um, you know, leverage, and it, it just didn't it didn't work out for him because I don't think the Red Wings ever uh, considered that he might actually go to the KHL. No, I don't think they did either. I I, I think that uh, they they kind of thought it was a ploy. Ken Howland, Ken Howland, pardon me, the Red Wing general manager said many times. I can't negotiate against the KHL. What happens next year with Mantha and Larkin if, you know, are they going to use the KHL against me? You know, I mean, I have to stick to, you know, within the league here. And, I mean, I kind of understood where he was coming from. And a lot of people I talked to said, listen, he's just a kid. And he being Anthony Sioux and that, you know, he was going through this for the first time. And he maybe he thought he knew what he was doing. But like all of us when we were younger, in the end, when we look back at it, we say, what the heck was I thinking? Well, I think he'll, he'll look back and wonder that as well because I think to him it, it sort of felt like, well, you know, he scored 18 goals last season, and by all accounts everyone believes, boy, that was a very promising season he had. Mm -hmm. And I think he, you know, sort of uh, put his value higher than it really was. I mean, you really, when you're a restricted free agent, you know, how much leverage do you really have? And I know there were people out there that said that uh, teams should have uh, – um, leveraged, uh, you know, gone with an offer sheet on Anthony CU. But, um, you know, those things just don't work. Uh, you know, even when a team is capped out the way the Red Wings are, um, what ends up happening is, is that, you know, everybody takes note when you do that. There's repercussions in terms of if, 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 if you're going to do that to another team, other teams are going to do it to you. So teams are reluctant to offer sheet. And as a general rule, teams figure out a way to do it. I mean, the Red Wings might not have liked it if someone had offered uh, him, a, you know, $3 million, say, per season. But they would have found a way to, to get it done because the minute you give in on those, then, you know, you leave yourself open. So um, I don't know that uh, Anthony Sioux ever had a chance to achieve the amount of money that he, he wanted to get, and I think he just sort of overvalued uh, and probably probably deserving of a little more than he got now, but that's the price he paid for sort of putting the Red Wings through this. And, you know, really... This is how the system is supposed to work. Right. It's supposed to be that you have to prove yourself. And, you know, 18 goals, while very, very nice, you know, just wasn't enough to earn him the, the contract that he wanted. And, and once you and once you earn your pay, I mean, the, the NHL will pay you. If you're, if, yeah. if, if this isn't a league that fights with money. I mean, if, if you're producing, they will pay you. Well, yeah, and there's the contracts that Connor McDavid uh, – you know, recently God has proven, and Jack Eichel, and, uh, you know, as I mentioned, Nancy Kopitar is at $10 million. Once you reach that level, you know, you are going to be paid. Um, and, you know, who knows? I mean, if Anthony Sioux comes in and he's, uh, you know, sets the league on fire, his next contract, uh, which will be pretty soon, uh, you know, he'll get uh, handsomely rewarded. I, from your years of covering the league, and you know, even my years, I would expect that this is going to be a rather smooth transition. Even though it took 12 games or so, almost, in, or nine games into the season to get it get it done, and he's missed all the training camp, which in, in essence really hurt the team. 
uh, which meant that you know it hurt his teammates. Uh, do you see any kind of problems going forward between Athanasiu and his teammates, and Athanasiu and the Red Wings? Well, you know, so many of these these things have happened through the years, and historically, everybody has gotten over them. Right. I mean, you know, there is sort of a seed like if there's tension between. Um, a, a team continually, like let's use uh, Ryan O'Reilly for example, mm-hmm. who um, had con to, had two different difficult contract negotiations. That ultimately led to him being traded to Buffalo. Um, you know, could that happen in this case? Well, sure. But you know, if Anthony C.U. comes in and he gets lots of ice time and he scores uh, twenty goals the rest of the season, you know. I think everything will be resolved. Uh, you know, I think everybody will be will be happy. They'll pay him the money he wants. He'll be happy to be in Detroit. You know, it's so funny how that those all work out when, you know, when everybody, uh, uh, if a player is playing at the highest level, suddenly it, it all works out. And make no mistake about it, the the Red Wings really need. They first of all, I think they need him. They want him, and his reputation around the league as a player is that he is pretty gifted offensively. You know, his defense really has to come around. Yeah, I mean, the skating is just exceptional. And, uh, you know, the romance of Anthony Sioux is very high, uh, you know, and, and certainly with the fan base as well. I mean, fans, you know, they that's something that a fan can embrace. Like, they may not always see everything that a coach sees because, you know, coaches are breaking down film and watching everybody. But they can see a great skater, and Anthony Sioux can fly up the ice and, you know, has that game-breaking ability. And, you know, because of that, uh, um, you know, I, I think this gives him a much higher popularity than, you know, the average young player. Right. We're doing this podcast, the Red White Authority, on a uh, late Wednesday afternoon. Uh, the Red Wings are currently mired in a five-game losing streak. Uh, they played perhaps one of their worst games in recent memory Sunday night at Little Caesars Arena against Vancouver. Jeff Blaschel was was livid, said he was going to skate the boys hard the next day because they didn't work against Vancouver. They were going to work on Monday. He had a second thought about that, and they had like a classroom video session. Not one of these team meetings where everyone stood up and said anything. It was basically him teaching this team what they were doing wrong and him addressing the club. Um, People have said, well, about time, or that's good that Blash did that. Some people are saying, God, it's so early in the season. You know, you can only do that so many times a year. Your impressions thus far of, of the Red Wings, and you think Blash will probably needed to take that step back and let you know break down a little bit of video with these guys? Uh, I, I think it was needed. Um, you know, the one thing that we've learned about the NHL over the last uh, decade since the salary cap was introduced that you know, and, and general managers talk about it all the time. You can't win anything in the first at the start of the season, but you can lose everything. <laughs> right. And right. and when if you get off to a poor start, well, they got off to actually a better than expected start. Now the competition, um, you know, was favorable in terms of they got the you know the Coyotes and they got the you know the Vegas Golden Knights that were still sort of sorting out to where they were. Now turns out the Vegas Golden Knights are pretty good, but. Um, you know, and then all of a sudden it, it, they've gone sort of downhill. And um, I think Blashill could could sort of feel the avalanche rolling downhill. And you know, he needs to stop. I mean, let's look at the Colorado Avalanche last year. That were the Colorado Avalanche as bad as they looked last season? No, they weren't. But you know, they started out poorly, and it just got worse. Right. And I think Blashill, you know, wanted to prevent that, and I think you know he needed to do that. And this is sort of an odd mix. Like you know, when you're a young team. 
it's easy to teach all the time. But this Red Wing team is a mixture of veteran guys and younger guys. So, you know, it, it's kind of a, uh, a challenge to figure out how to approach them. I mean, on one, on one hand, you've got to teach some guys. On the other hand, you know, you've got to let, uh, you know, Henrik Zetterberg do what he does. Uh, you know, you've got to give him rope. Um, you know, so it, it's a complicated venture for um, Blashill, and I'm sure he's just trying to sort it out and trying to make this team as competitive as possible. But I, I, I think it was the right call to, to take him to the woodshed, as it were. Right, so to speak. With uh, your impressions, I've seen you down at uh, Little, I almost said the Joe, yeah. but uh, uh, Little Caesars Arena a few times. I know you've watched this club. Uh, do you think that, you know, certainly – they're not an elite level hockey club. I think, you know, the Red Wings themselves will admit that, but they do feel that they're in the mix to be a playoff team in the Eastern Conference and that depending on, you know, a few a few minor tweaks here or there is going to determine which way this club goes. Well, I agree. I mean, I had them as a, an 80-some point team. Like, I thought they could get in the 80s, but, you know, the, the difference between – uh, 80 some and making the playoffs in 95 is about a win a month you know if they could win one extra game uh, per month and that's an extra 12 points so if I had them in 83 that would be you know 95 and then Sunday they'd be in a playoff so you know if absolutely everything went right for the Red Wings and thus far that's not happening right then I, certainly I think they could make a run at the playoffs but I don't expect that to happen I mean I think the perception of the Red Wings around the league is is that they're a team in transition that's trying to integrate the younger players in um, and sort of find their roles and for them eventually take over the team. Well, you know, where I, I guess there's a hashtag floating around Twitter already by Red Wing fans that says, Tank for Darlene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm not surprised at that. I mean, A, he's a great player. B, he would be the perfect fit for this, uh, uh, this team. And, you know... The, one of the difficulties for the Red Wings is, is is the fans in Detroit who have always had a connection anyway to the Toronto Maple Leafs because of the natural rivalry. Uh, so many people have you know driven to Toronto to watch hockey. You know we've seen them in just two years. In two yeah. years, you know it, people forget in 2015 Lamarillo and Babcock were hired, and now they they went from a team that. Babcock's, you know, basically was saying, oh, wow, this is going to take forever. There's going to be a he, lot of pain. A lot he of said, pain. He, yeah, a lot yeah. of pain. He said like seven years he, or yeah, something. Yeah, a lot, lot of pain. Well, it's two years later, and they're the Vegas favorite to win the Stanley Cup. Right. Uh, you know, but the problem with that is, is when you start thinking like that, when you're a Red Wings fan, you forget that, you know, the Edmonton Oilers, you know, pick number one forever, often, and, you know, it took them and not until they got Connor McDavid. We've seen the Colorado Avalanche pick high, and they didn't get any better. Like, it, you know, it, it makes a difference when you're getting Austin Matthews uh, well, makes, right. or That's... Connor McDavid. And there's no guarantee. Uh, you know, Dolan is a very attractive player, and he could be a difference maker. But, you know, we heard a lot, a lot of great things about Aaron Ekblad, and I don't see the Florida Panthers at the top of the – uh, the standings as well. Right, we should, and we should. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin is a Swedish defenseman, 6'2". Yeah. I saw him at the summer showcase, uh, the first game that was in Plymouth in August. He looked great. He got hurt, and then he played the last game against Finland. He can control a game. Uh, I'm not trying to over-exaggerate, but I, but I would assume that he's probably going to be the number one draft pick uh, in the NHL, unless whomever's drafting first needs a forward, uh, that they, which would be... Uh, Shalitnikov's brother, probably, even though he's hurt, uh, brother of uh, a Red Wing prospect. But uh, Darlene would probably, not would probably, would make the Red Wings next year, and he could 
even at his early age. And you're right, I don't want to go er, er, uh, Ekblad on him, but he could actually be their best defenseman next season. Yeah, well... Yeah, if they you, get him and they have to win the... There's you, a lot of things that have to yeah, happen. Yeah, I mean, you have to win the lottery, too. That's right, why, right, right, exactly. That's why I, you know, I mean, let's go back. And that's why I just think, you know, when my readers send me these uh, emails to Detroit fans and say, you know, well, we should tank. And, you know, I, I just, I, to be honest with you, like, that, the whole thing is, is silly because... You know, you, you got to be the worst team. You got to still win the lottery. You know, Aaron Ekblad is a great player, but, you know, he's not enough to turn the franchise around. And uh, uh, Dallin may not be as well. And, um, you know, you just, you just know there's so many things. Like, I think you just try to build your team, you know, like to me what would be just as important for the Red Wings is, you know, if they trade Mike Green, who's going to be an unrestricted right. free agent, what do they get for him? Do they get a, you know, good young prospect that suddenly could help the team? Like, all those things matter. Like, as great as Austin Matthews is, and he is great, um, you know, it's the little things that made that are making the Maple Leafs. It's, you know, the fact they didn't trade Cadre, and he's been better under Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock turned Jake Gardner into a significant player. Right. You know, all those factors... Um, you know, uh, will play a role, and you know the same will be here true in Detroit. Yeah, they probably need a couple of premium players, but you know Dylan Larkin's development is crucial, and uh, Anthony Mantha's uh, development is essential. Uh, you know they need both of those players to, you know, to develop, and they need some of their younger prospects that we haven't seen yet to, you know, exceed expectations. Let's look at Jake Gunsel last right. year with the. Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, he was not a highly coveted prospect and then emerged, developed. Uh, you know, Connor Sheary, look at all the younger players that the Penguins had that nobody was talking about. Like, you know, I don't remember anybody talking about Brian Rust and Sheary and Gunsel as going to be uh, transformative of the Penguins, but, you know, they were. So, you know, all those things would have to happen, uh, you know, for the Red Wings to turn turn it around in a timely fashion. Right, and you, and you just said it, you know, kind of the joke around the, 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 the uh, gondola press box there at Joe Louis Arena is that, depending on what happens, Mike Green is going to be vanicked at the uh, trade deadline, yeah, and, they're yeah. pro- and they're probably going to get more for, for Green, who's actually having a... a you know, he looks like he did in Washington. He was an offensive juggernaut at this point. I, I, I couldn't agree. I mean, more because, um, and there's so many teams looking for, uh, you know, offensive-minded defensemen. They'll be, they'll be able to do that. And, uh, you know, the, the most difficult um, situation, I think, for a general manager is the one that Ken Holland is facing now, you know, when you're, you're, you're stuck in between. You know, right. you're, you're on the treadmill. You know, you still got Henrik Zetterberg, who's very important to the team, who's you know plays hard every night, and you know what? He he's not into tanking. You know, Henrik Zetterberg is not into tanking, uh, and he he's not thinking about rebuilding. He's trying to win every night. So right. you know, you have to sort of manage that group and bring along the younger players. And rebuilding on the fly is the most difficult uh, act to pull off. Right. Many people always bring up the, the Red Wings contract. It's not so much how much the Red Wings are paying some of their players. It's just the, the term, the length of their contract. Do you see eventually if some of these players, like if Justin Abdicator turns it around, are, are, are there any movable contracts that you see from contracts that are deemed not very good? Well, you know, 
everything is movable if you're willing to give up assets. Mm -hmm. uh, so it just how much pain are the Red Wings willing to absorb and what are they willing to give up? But, you know, that's tricky as well because what are you trying to preserve more than anything else right now if you're the Red Wings? It's your assets. So, you know, if you're going to try to get rid of some of these contracts, they're going to demand assets. So, you know, it's tricky. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, Abdicator offers some intangibles that perhaps a, uh, uh, a contending team might like. But, you know, again, they're going to want you to take something back. Um, you know, oftentimes in these situations, as we all know, there's a demand that you take back a contract that they don't, they don't like. Right, no. right. Um, so, but, you know, probably it will be a bit less onerous than, uh, you know, the one you're trying to get rid of. Well, I, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here. We know supposedly the 2018 draft, which is going to be in Dallas uh, in, in late June this year, or in 2018, obviously, but uh, is much deeper. The Red Wings are trying to acquire as many picks as possible, depending, and we're speculating here. I don't want anyone, oh, you're going to trade Mike Green, but, you know, he would be definitely a very attractive player to move at the trade deadline um, could they somehow because of assets if they have a lot of draft picks they had 11 last year I think they're up to 9 or 10 already and if they can keep adding more do you see them trading some draft picks in 2018 not the first or second round but they have like two third rounders right now they have two second rounders and maybe one of these contracts that they can somehow manage it that way um, because you, when you really look at it, you're right. They don't have much leverage. It looks like at this point. Yeah. No. I mean, and you know, you got it's it's really about creativity. Right. You know, the good general managers, you know, find a way. Like I often hear uh, GMs say, "Well, it's just so hard, so hard to trade in the salary cap era." But you know, Jim Rutherford and David Poyle make blockbuster deals. Mm -hmm. You know, when uh, I, I, all I could hear was is that the Penguins had no money, no cap space, and suddenly Phil Kessel was on the Penguins. Uh, you know, it, it just, you need some creativity uh, to try to make it work. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work. You know, not, you know, you got to find the right fit and, and everything else. And, um, you know, I mean, that, that's going to be the, the, the trick is to try to sort it out. And, you know, to be honest, it, it, it would be foolish not to trade Mike Green if you're not going to re-sign him. You know, if you're not in the playoff hunt, um, you know, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. With this team the way it is, I think you want to give younger players a chance. You're probably not going to re-sign Mike Green, so it would be silly not to trade him. Right, yeah. I mean, it, it looks, again, unless they're in the playoff hunt. And, you right. know, and, and obviously, it's so early in the season, we can't speculate where the Red Wings are going to become trade deadline time. Uh, but if they're not in the playoffs, it's if it's similar to last year, then green obviously has to be moved. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I just, you know, I just think that that's, uh, you know, and I'm sure he knows that too. Like, you know, players are smart. They've got it all figured out. They know. I'm sure he's looking around wondering, you know, where, where and I'm sure if, if their revenues are not going to make the playoffs, he'd like to get in the playoffs. So, right. um, and he would certainly go to, a, you know, contending team. Although, you know, the old days, uh, it was sort of easier to forecast who was going to, Right. Be in the playoffs now. It's you know like we we could have twenty or twenty two teams competing for those uh, 
you know, playoff spots uh, going down to the final week. When the Capitals were in town on uh, uh, Friday of last week against the Red Wings, somebody said, you know, wouldn't it be kind of ironic because Washington's defense is, you know, still kind of a work in progress as well if Mike Green isn't traded back to the Capitals, you know? And I said, well, stranger things have probably happened. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, how many times have we seen Francois Beaujavon in, 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 uh, in Anaheim, you know, right, like... Right. Right, like right, right. Uh, you know, just tours of duty um, that they <laughs> that, that they go back. So um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's it. You know, I know some Red Wing fans are um, you know disappointed that the the era of the uh, Red Wings greatness is over. But it is a fascinating time, uh, you know, for the Red Wings because uh, you know with the new arena, um, I think everyone believes that the ability to recruit free agents. Um, is is enhanced. I think players will want to play here. The only problem with that thinking is is that you know the free, the salary cap hasn't worked the way that everybody was predicting it would when it was introduced. the The idea was that there were going to be a lot of free agents every summer um, because you know general managers are going to have to make hard decisions. But what's really happened is everybody has kept their players. They've right. signed them to long term deals. And so it's usually just one or two guys that are available. I mean, you know, you're competing like, you know, Shattenkirk was the guy last time. And really there wasn't much that everybody was sort of going after. Uh, you know, uh, the one year it was Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi. But, you know, it's not like we've had six or eight or ten players uh, every uh Summer. There's usually been one or two that everybody's competing for. Right, and you know, you're 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 top and bottom heavy as far as salary goes. You have you know a few players that are making a lot of money, and then you have other guys who are you know not make. They're all making a lot of money, but I mean you know yeah. there's the, there's no middle salary guys a lot of times. It seems that guys are either making you know three to four and up a year, or they're under like two hundred and fifty thousand a year. Or there's a lot of two way <laughs> deals. I mean, there's you know it's. It's kind of, um, it's not spread out, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, it, it is hard. I mean, cap management is now such an important aspect of, uh, you know, the managerial position. And they all have capologists, but it still comes down to the GM's decision on who's going to get the money and what percentage. And, you know, it's, it's a lot more complex than uh, most fans think about. I mean, you know, you have to decide what percentage you're going to spend on your defense um, you know, if you can get a bargain in net, you know, then you can spend a little bit more on forwards. It, it, you know, people said that uh, the Oilers couldn't afford both Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid paying them all that money. But, you know, if you look around the league, everybody's playing three players a lot of money. I right. Mean, that's just sort of the standard deal, that three players get a lot of money, and then there's a the next group, there's that four or five, or get four or five million dollars, right. and then it goes down from there. So there is sort of a salary structure, and then each team has... You know, the other big question is, um, and it's it's funny uh, that the NBA is taken a little bit differently. Like, you know, guys sort of get together and decide, well, you know, we're all, we'll try to fit into this team and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, uh, do, you, do you take less money to be surrounded by talent? You know, Sidney Crosby did that in Pittsburgh, um, but, uh, you know, Connor McDavid took 12 and a half. Uh, you know, when Kane and Taves took ten and a half in Chicago, that meant a revision, and you know, guys lost their jobs because of that. It, you know, like it's it's a complicated uh, you know formula for both the athlete and the and the, the managers. Right. I, I guess if you when you brought up the NBA, the first thing that came to my mind was the two thousand two Red Wings, 
who some guys deferred salary right. uh, in order to bring Hall and Robitaille onto this roster. Uh, you know, they, 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 you know, and 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 so it, it can be done, but I think it takes. And maybe, you know, it takes more of a veteran player who foregoes some salary than, say, a young kid like a Connor McDavid who was offered the riches of the world. And, you know, at 20 or 21, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take everything I can get. Well, and there's pressure on him, too, uh, because, you know, if, like, he is the standard bearer for, for contracts. Like, uh, and so, like, if he decides to take less... In the name of making the Oilers players better, he knows that will have an impact on John Tavares. It'll have an impact on Jack Eichel. It's going to have an impact on Austin Matthews. If Connor McDavid had taken ten point five million dollars, then maybe Austin Matthews wouldn't have been able to get twelve point five. Uh, you know, if that's what he's going to get. In fact, he may he may actually get more. Than, yeah, than do you, that was my next question. I know you know, I know we're jumping around a little bit here, but I mean. I, you know, everyone says, well, my, my favorite expression is when somebody like Matthew Stafford of the Lions, might as well th- mention every sport in here. We'll get into your World Series pick here in a second. Verlander's <laughs> going tonight. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know we're all rooting for the Astros tonight. But, uh, you know, when you look at it, Matthew Stafford is the highest paid player uh, in, the, in the NFL. And people say, what do you think? I go, well, he's the highest paid player. Till the next one, you right. know what I mean. Well, yeah. I mean, it's 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 not that he just is going to set the bar and it's not going to go over that. I mean, I okay, he's the highest paid player, but that doesn't even mean anything really no. to me. No, you know? no, no, it it really doesn't because, um, and that'll happen as well. I mean, uh, uh, the fact that uh, you know Sidney Crosby is still working on a contract that pays him less than Evgeny Malkin, and you know will pay him four million dollars less than Connor McDavid. Well. You know that's kind of silly. Right. When you think about it. Right. Exactly. You know, given you know that he's the two-time, you know, reigning uh, playoff MVP and the, you know the World Cup and everything he's done, but you know that's just the way it worked out. That's the the timing of it all. You know, and you know, uh, and I've actually asked Crosby this. Like he knew when he signed that contract that eventually Malkin, when he was up, who was up after him, would be paid more than he 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 was, and you know he was fine with that because he knows how it works, and I'm sure. The agent told Connor uh, McDavid that, "Hey, look, um, uh, uh, Austin Matthews may come in and make more than you will." Um, you know, so it 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 is. Uh, 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 you know, I think when you start comparing salaries of players, you have to factor in the time when they were um, uh, signed those contracts. Right. Exactly. Um, real quickly, then we'll get into some disappointments and surprises and and, and things. Uh, when you look at Austin Matthews, does he have the potential? Uh, yeah, I'm going back to my old radio days. It sounds like I'm about to ask a question and throw out a phone number here. But uh, <laughs> does he have the potential to be the greatest American-born player ever? Because he is—he scored a goal against the Red Wings the last time that they were in here uh, between the legs of Trevor Daly when Jimmy Howard just had no chance on it. And I mean, and he just threaded the needle. You know, short side up high. I mean, it was just, he's pretty incredible, or at least he's pretty incredible against the Red Wings. Well, uh, you know, and this is hard for me to say this because, you know, th- those are my guys. You know, the greatest uh, American hockey generation with uh, Madonna and Kachuk and Billy Guerin and Dougie Waite and Chelios and Leach. You know, I know most of those guys. Right. I was covering the league there. You know, I wrote a couple of their books, uh, you know. 
you know, I know them, so it's hard to say this, uh, but, you know, I think Austin Matthews does have the potential to be the, the best player. Um, and, you know, he's just such a powerful force, and the fact that he is going to be able to, you know, play in Toronto, so, you know, his exposure is going to be, uh, you know, exceed uh, right. uh, a lot of the players that I just mentioned in terms of, you know, where they played. Now, Leach did play in New York, and, you know, Chelsea also, of course, was in Detroit and Chicago. But, you know, being uh, in Toronto, and I think the fact that Matthews is also from Arizona, so he has a novelty about him as well, you know, the uniqueness. And, you know, his mother is of, of Mexican descent. Like, all those factors sort of play into it. And he's just an unbelievable player with incredible talent. And what what I like about Matthews um, is is not only is he a great offensive player, but you know we have seen within the last uh, uh, year uh, just the amount of effort he'll put into being an overall player as well. Like he, you know, he can be Madonna esque, but he also could be Jonathan Taves. You know, he, he he'll play that two way game. And, you know, he's a bigger guy. Like, he's not... Uh, he's not small. No, yeah, yeah, he's a bigger guy. He's thick. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think he has that potential. A long way to go. I mean, uh, you know, guys like, uh, you know, my, you know, I believe Chris Chelios is the greatest American player of all time. Some people think it's, it's Mike Madonna, a guy that I really admire as well. Some people think it's Brian Leach. Some people think it's Pat LaFontaine. I, I think it's Chelios. Right. Uh, just simply because of, um, you know... Uh, and when I've mentioned that to people, no one can really tell me why Chelios couldn't be. Uh, but, you know, he is sort of emblematic of sort of the American player. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when nobody gave the Americans a chance to win an international competition, Chelios was playing as hard as he could play. Like, he, right. it, it just it, it, it irritated him that he right. would go to these tournaments and, you know, they weren't given a chance. So, uh, but, you know... Can Matthews get up to there? There's a long way to go, um, but I think he has that potential. The thing that I've noticed about him, and I've only seen it you know, through television and then seen him play live a couple of times, is that he's one of those players where it seems to, it's effortlessly. You know, he's just out there and he's playing. And it's not that he's like wowing you. He's just doing everything extremely well. Well, yeah, I mean, the goal he scored against the Red Wings, if you remember, too, he just he waited. He hesitated right. a half second to let that player get in front of him. To Trevor Daly, right, right. To, to screen. I mean, and the instincts to know to do that, uh, to just pause, you know, right. half second. You know, the patience, like young players don't have patience, but Austin Matthews got patience. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, he just knows how to do that, and, you know, he's just so impressive. And I, I never thought that... Uh, uh, after seeing what Connor McDavid uh, was about, I thought, well, there's no way anybody's going to be quite as good as him over the next 10 years. But could be Matthews. It really could be. I mean, I, I mean, I think Connor McDavid has a more spectacular element to his game. Um, like right. the play the other night that I watched on a spinorama that Connor McDavid just put it on uh, Maroon Stick and for a, just a, a tap-in goal, like, you know, you're just going, wow. I mean, that was Gretzky-esque. Right. Um, so Matthews doesn't really have that. You alluded to that. But in terms of performance and production, the ability to lead the team and do everything, I think Matthews can match him. There's another young American who uh, currently is leading the NHL rookies in points and in goals who is not the same size as Austin Matthews, a little bit smaller, yet... Uh, he has made an impact so much so. I, I read a tweet last night 
and I can't remember uh, uh, who uh, tweeted it out, but said that uh, Clayton Keller is worth the price of admission, that he is a super player. He is also an American from Missouri. Uh, he plays for the Phoenix Coyotes, who are in Detroit next Tuesday on Halloween night against the Red Wings. Uh, this is a player that, uh, you know, in Phoenix is, I, you know, going on to our surprises and disappointments, they're a surprisingly disappointing team. Thus, as we're, as we're speaking here on Wednesday uh, late in the afternoon, um, they're 0-8-1, yet he, if there is a bright spot, it is the play of Clayton Keller. Well, for sure, and this is not unexpected. Uh, you know, I mean, we saw him as a dominant player in the world juniors uh, and that is a barometer usually for future NHL success. Um, there's been comparisons to, to Patrick Kane for at least a couple of years. Um, you know, it's interesting, Clayton Keller came out of St. Louis and what makes St. Louis so unique, because we've seen a lot of players come out of there lately, is that all the former Blues started coaching there. You know, Al McGinnis was coaching there. Kachuk, Keith Kachuk was coaching there. Jeff Brown was coaching there. And all of a sudden, we've seen just a whole lot of good players come out of St. Louis. And Clayton Keller is, 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 uh, sort of leads that pack. And, um, you know, very dynamic player, very elusive. Uh, much like Kane can sort of find the seams in the defense, even when it doesn't seem like there are any to be found, he suddenly, you know, finds them. But, you know, he was my preseason pick uh, to be, you know, rookie of the year because I expected he would be dominant. Now, you know, right now he is a smallish player and he, he he's a little, um, you know, he needs to put on some weight and he probably needs to add some strength. So, you know, like the, uh, right now his plus minus is a little abysmal. Uh, to say the least, um, but he's playing with a fascinating line with Derek Stepan and uh, Max Domi, and you know that's not exactly a giant line. Uh, yeah. You know everybody there is you know five ten and under. Right. Uh, so uh, what he's done has been pretty amazing, and I think you're right on when you say you know this Arizona team has been disappointing in terms of I think everyone was expecting some improvement, um, but uh, it hasn't happened. But everybody's excited about Clayton Keller, like he. You know he's going to be a forty-goal scorer in this league. Right. He uh, and you know and he, he the Red Wing fans will get a chance to see him firsthand. Arizona's only visit will be Tuesday uh, on Halloween night. And uh, uh, the thing that, if you look at the development program now that's in Plymouth, the uh, U.S. National Development Program, and you look at it when it was in Ann Arbor for all those years, and a lot of great players like an Austin Matthews, like a Dylan Larkin, like a Jack Eichel. You can go back to Phil Kessel. He is the all-time leading scorer for that program, which says an awful lot about what kind of player he is. Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, a lot of greatness has come through that program. I mean, that's sort of a Juilliard school for a finishing school for hockey players. And, you know, and you ran off a bunch of, you know, great players who have, have come through there. And, um, you know, Austin Matthews came through there. And it's funny, Austin Matthews, as great as he was, Keller had more points. Right. Uh, you know, and... Uh, uh, I, I do agree. I think that does say you know a lot of, about him. But I you know I think fans uh, who will get their first peek at him in Detroit will be impressed by uh, you know he's got a magic in his game. Now you see him. Now you don't. Suddenly he's in front of the net. The puck's on his stick. Boom! It's in. <laughs> you know it's you know you're not you're not quite sure where he was, and then suddenly he's there. Yeah, it reminds me a bit. It's they're completely different players, but kind of a disappearing act that Brett Hall used to do. 
you would never notice him at all out on the ice, you know, but he'd be kind of just kind of, I don't want to say floating because that's always a negative, but he'd be sauntering around and the next thing you know, he's wide open and boom, it's in the net. I mean, you know, that, that, that in itself is a very special talent. Well, for sure. And I, you know, and I can actually explain why he was able to do that because I mentioned I had written some of those guys' books. <laughs> Brett Hull was one of them. And, you know, what Brett did, um, and he, he talked about this in his book, and it was something his father taught him. His father taught him at a very young age, whenever you believe you're most out of the play is when you are very much in the play. Because if you think you're out of the play, everybody else does too. And that's when you can slide back in. And what he would do, and again, his dad taught him this, as everybody was moving forward, he would skate back against the grain and then suddenly button hook and then rejoin the group. So as they were coming into the zone or, or, or starting to attack, he would sort of skate toward them, and then he would quickly turn around, and there he would be. Right. Um, you know, and, and you know, I don't know why more players haven't done that. In this day and age, probably there's a great uh, you know, worry about being suddenly caught with your back to the play and everybody going the other way. But uh, it certainly worked for him because he found many seams in the defense by, by doing that. Let's. Uh, I, I could go on because one of the things that's great about seeing a hockey game live, which it, television – unfortunately can't capture is what players are doing when they don't have the puck out on the ice. I mean you can you can watch a player and you can see Brett Hall as you said. You know, it looks like he's doing nothing and then boom, he's right, you know, he button hooks and he's right back there and you know, give me the you know, give me the uh give me the puck and I'll one time it like Shanty taught me, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Or like I taught Shanty actually I think it's the other way around. But um let's go to some teams that have been Maybe a little bit disappointing. You know, Montreal, Carey Price is flaming out. He's freaking out. I know they won last night against, uh, against Florida. Uh, you know, the Rangers. Uh, you know, because let's look at it. Those teams were put together to win now, right now, especially with the goalies that they have, Henrik Lundqvist and, and Carey Price. Yet it's starting off slowly. Canadians' first uh, worst start since the early 40s. So. Yeah, 1941 was the, it's the worst start, and especially when you have the you know what we all consider the top goalie in the league and Carey Price. But you know it really shouldn't be a shock to anybody in Montreal that they've had trouble scoring goals. Now they right. didn't get five yesterday, but you know uh, they had trouble scoring goals last season, and they lost Ranchilov, who right. is a very dynamic scorer. So uh, the big difference this year is. Um, you know, their defense, you know, Emlyn's gone, uh, Markov's gone, it's sort of a rebuilt, uh, Boilo's gone. They rebuilt their defense. And I, I remember Bergeron saying before the season that he felt that this defense might be better than last season's. Well, no, hasn't been. No. Uh, you know, they, they've struggled. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, it's, it's too early to totally write them off. But, you know, you could see the, the boulder starting to, to, you know, go down the hill. And, you know, the Rangers, it's, it's really perplexing. I, I did not have them making the playoffs, um, but I thought mostly that was a reflection of how tough I thought the uh, Metropolitan Division was. I thought they were going to be in that 93, 94-point range, which put them right on the, the cusp, but they have not played well. And, uh, you know, Kevin Shattenkirk was exactly the kind of defenseman they were looking for, a transition guy who could trigger their offense. But if, if you're going to accept that, you have to accept the fact that, you know, he's not a defensive stalwart. You know, he's not a guy. He's not a shutdown guy. Right. So they're giving up more uh, chances, and they've been very sloppy in their defensive coverage. And, you know, they look like one of the worst teams in the league. And they've, they've got to turn it around quickly because 
that is a, an impossible division to dig yourself out of a hole, particularly with you know Philadelphia improving this right. season. The Islanders are okay. Start led by Michigan uh, uh, native coach Dougie Waite. Um, you know that 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 division's tough. It is. It is when you uh, uh, look at maybe some of the surprises. Uh, and unless you are more disappointments or something that that, that stands out that uh, I know we talked a little bit about Arizona not not having won a game yet and people expected big things from them but uh, a certain player or somebody that you you thought might be might be better or that uh, that because uh, uh, you know I, I guess like you said Clayton Keller about as far as rookies but. Even at the draft, I got a sense that nobody was expecting any of this current rookie class to that was drafted last year to really step in and blow the NHL away. Yeah, but you know the one thing that we can always count on is that there is always a rookie that we didn't count on. Right. I, right. I mean, every year that happens. Like you know, we all do our pre, and mostly you end up projecting guys that we've heard a lot about and we know, and then it's guys like Jesper Bratt in uh, New Jersey who come come in and, you know, surprise everyone. Or, um, you know, there's the young Victor Matei in uh, Montreal, a young defenseman that makes the team. You know, those guys have kind of, you know, step in. But, um, you know, in New Jersey, um, they're another surprise on right. the positive Yes, end. they are. And, uh, you know, what's keyed them has been younger players. Uh, you know, Will Butcher, uh, um, who is, comes uh, out of the University of Denver and, um, has been a uh, you know puck moving defenseman and is off to a great start and of course uh, uh, he sure uh, mm-hmm. his uh, was the top pick and he's been he's already their number one center um, so you know they that they've been a big surprise and uh, John Hines their coach who is out of that development program as well not right. only are they producing players but apparently they produce coaches too because because <laughs> he's done a, a terrific job there in New Jersey. Um, We've got to go to the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, you know, obviously the tragedy, uh, maybe it sound, as crazy as it sounds, that team came together very quickly based on, I think, what was happening not on the ice, but what was happening off the ice. And they seem to be a veteran squad that has been together for years upon years, and I'm not trying to make light of the tragedy at all. It was horrible, that massacre. It really was, but in a strange sense, it had a profound effect, I think, on this hockey club. No question, uh, and I don't, I don't think that the uh, Golden Knight players would shy away from that. I mean, they really had set out to uh, be on a mission of doing whatever they could to help that community heal and get through the grieving process. What they didn't count on is is that it was going to have a profound impact on the unity of that team. Uh, they really have come together because of that. Like you know, this uh, traditionally expansion teams are patchwork. Uh, right. You know, they've come team guys come from everywhere and they try to form a team and and so forth. Now it did help that the Vegas Golden Knight got the best and most liberal expansion draft rules in the history of all expansions. You know, it was designed to give them a better shake than right. previous teams. However, you know, nobody could have counted on this team coming together and the chemistry and, and so forth. And, you know, they did, George McPhee, the general manager, did help it along by bringing in character guys. But I couldn't agree more with you. I, I think this team has come together in the spirit of trying to help everyone and it's turned out that the community that they were trying to help has sort of helped them by sort of getting behind and thankful thanking them i was there um, for their first game and uh 
Um, so many of the players were talking about all the text and, and uh, notes they received from you know firefighters and first responders and people who knew somebody um, who was uh, either killed or injured in the attack and saying how you know they've been helped by the distraction of what the Golden Knights are doing and I think they've sort of been buoyed by that as well. You know that was one of the questions were that it's such a transient city. People fly in for a weekend or fly out or there and they're gambling uh, that can, you know, basically entertainment workers or casino workers or, you know, the, the, the employers of Las Vegas, the people who actually live there, first, do they have time to go see a hockey game? And do they really have the energy to get behind a squad? Is that, yeah, but their fan base seems to be extremely solid. They, and it, it, it does seem, although there might have been some questions about it, a very, very good fit. Yeah, it has been. And, the, you know, the vast majority of their, of their season ticket base are Las Vegas residents. And their casino purchases, and I think this is crucial, um, are not all that significant in terms of uh, the total number of season ticket holders they have. So I think everybody just assumed, well, the casinos will buy up all the tickets, but that's not been the case. Right. They, they have a lot of people. And as you would expect, because of the way that city is set up, you know, most of those um, people who live there are from somewhere else. Right. And a lot of them are in, you know, winter environments um, because they, they've escaped the snow they, right. by moving to Las Vegas. But when they were in the snow, they were loving hockey. Right, right. And, uh, so, you know, you've got your uh, Michigan residents, you've got your Philadelphia residents, but what's been unique, and it's been helped along by this incredible start that they've had, and, you know, not only are they the best expansion team, but the best first-year team. Like, so all these historic franchises, you know, that have been around for 100 years, none of them ever started this good. You right, know? right, I mean, right. It's, it's really, really been amazing. But, uh, you know, I ended up writing a story where I quoted the, the vice president of, of season uh, tickets saying that, uh, you know, people would always say, well, you know, the Golden Knights will be my second team because, you know, I'm a Kings fan and I'm not giving them up. And he quoted a guy, uh, seeing a guy and he's wearing a, a Vegas Golden Knights jersey. He goes, you know, I changed my mind. <laughs> you know, you know, you know I'm, I'm with the Golden Knights, number one, and the Kings are now two. And I, you know, I'm not so sure that in the historic uh, cities that would be the case. But I think they won over a lot of people um, yeah. with what they've done. Well, that. I, I guess that's the biggest surprise thus far um, in the NHL has been the uh, the start of the Gold Knights and uh, the rallying of community where you know they've they, it's been therapeutic for the hockey club and for their fan base to have maybe uh, it, it happened at the right time you know unfortunately tragedy brought them together but it certainly seems to be working out well um, I would imagine Toronto's not a surprise to anybody or are they a surprise and I guess the only Place where they could really stub their toe, shall we say, is if Anderson gets hurt in net. You know, I, I I could see Babs, you know, going pulling out some of his luscious red hair. You know, if if, if their goalie goes down, but well, I can't see any other. I, I knowing Lou Lamarillo and Babcock the way I do, I think they would trade for a goalie. Uh, you know, I I think they believe in this group, even though it's young. And I think they're going to try to make a run. I, you know, I don't act necessarily believe the, you know, the Vegas uh, that they're the Stanley Cup favorite. But I think they're a contender. Um, you know, I think their defense is better than people thought. I expected this team to be good, but I don't know that I thought it would be this good. You know, their defense is really uh, that. That's where Babcock has done his best work. Like. Uh, 
Gardner is just a different player. Right, like right. He, he is. You know, uh, Babcock doesn't work for everybody, but he's worked for Gardner. Um, and I don't know whether Gardner would say he loves him, but, you know, I bet Gardner knows that he's been a better player since Mike Babcock showed up. And, you know, the impact that Babcock had on Cadre. Right. And that's the strength of, uh, you know, Babcock as a coach. I mean, it's one thing to develop players and to get the most out of young, talented players. But, you know, a lot of people would have come in there and they would have traded Cadre. Mm-hmm. But that's you know, and it was a big rumor too. Yeah, it was going to happen. That was going to happen. But what Babcock and and Lamarillo decide is, you know, let's give him a chance to see if he can work with this group. And you know, now Cadre is he's crucial to that group now. So you know, that's part of their strength as well. They just know not to wash a guy out to to let him you know prove what he can do. But uh, yeah, I like that team. Um, you know, I think I like the Tampa Bay team better. Um, you know, I, I was, you know, bullish on them. I had them, uh, Vasilevsky is doing great in that. Yeah. And what did Steve Eisenman say when Vasilevsky came in the league? I, I remember his quote was, I think he has the potential to be one of the top goalies in the league. And I think he's proven that. Yeah, he has proven that. And I guess the Red Wings, uh, chagrin, uh, he was drafted 19th, I believe, overall in a pick that they got from Detroit for Kyle Quincy. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Not that the Red Wings would have drafted him, but no, I'm just saying that. No, you know, it's... no, I'm sure they weren't. But, you know, goaltending, you know, if, uh, you know, going back to the Red Wings a little bit, uh, you know, Jimmy Howard has played well over the right. last uh, two seasons. Uh, like, I don't, of all the issues the Red Wings may have, I, I'm not sure goaltending is among them right now other than the fact that you know Jimmy is a little long in the tooth for you know this group coming up right and certainly it appears that Peter Morazak had some sort of attitude readjustment over the summer because he is a completely different player uh, off the ice shall we say and I'm not saying he was a bad guy I don't want to insinuate that I'm just saying he was a little different last year. This year, he's a, a more accommodating, I well, guess I'll say. I think there was humble pie was served, uh, you know, when, uh, and, this, you know, so many athletes go through this as well, uh, you know, when he was passed over by the, you know, the Golden Knights, uh, you know, I, you know, they went in a different direction. They went with an unproven guy. Um, and I think, you know, if you're Mrazic, you're going, wow. You know, and, you know, nobody was calling right. the Red Wings to say, you know, uh, you're going to expose him. You're you're in a bad spot. You got to expose a goalie. You know, why don't we make a deal like that, that? That didn't happen. And I'm sure he sort of took stock and thought, well, you know, I have a lot of potential. Like everybody knows what his potential is. We've seen him right, right. perform at a very high level. We know that. But you know, he didn't do that last season. And um, you know, there there was uh, the thought that uh, um, you know part of it was him that he you know he just needed to be more dedicated to you know being a great uh, you know player right his uh, his attitude had to ca- and swagger had to like kind of mold into right. one you know it uh, well ego can be a, g- a great thing uh, for an athlete but you know sometimes it can get in the way you've got to control the ego you right. know it can't be boundless right you know you need right. a good ego but it can't be boundless um, I, I know we're running out of time here. I wanted to go to 40 minutes, but we're already over that. But, you know, heck, it's the, the original Red and White Authority are yeah, back exactly. together again. So. I don't think we ever went less than 40. <laughs> no, no, we're not. We're, we're always over an hour. We're, we're getting there close right now. Um, I wanted to ask you about a player, and then maybe sum up with the Red Wings and get your, your, your Stanley Cup favorites and uh, uh, anything else, of course, that you would like to add because – you know, this podcast is as much yours as it is mine. I mean, the Red and White Authority is, in, in my book, will always be Art Regner and Kevin Allen, um, or Kevin Allen and Art Regner, more, more like it. But 
What is the story with Matt Duchesne? Is he traded? Is he not traded? I, I remember when he was drafted, Joe Sackick was his idol. This was the team he grew up wanting to be part of. He started off well with Colorado, uh, but then I don't know exactly. The, the whole team has been kind of in a funk for a couple of seasons now. Uh, it, it, do you see this? Is he a player that, if you were the Red Wings, shall we say, let's just use the Red Wings, uh, would you inquire about him? Have teams inquired about him? Or... Or is, there, is, is he just a mystery? People can't figure out exactly wh what's going on with him as a player and what's going on with the organization with the way they're kind of treating this whole thing. Well, I'll give you two takes on it. You know, my take is, uh, and this is hard for me because I have such respect of Joe, for Joe Sackick, the player. You know, he's really Iserman-esque right. uh, in terms of the way he approached the game. They wore the same number. They were, um, you know, both... Uh, you know, the icons of their franchise. But I, I thought he has mishandled this, you know, all the way through. Um, but, you know, I do another podcast with Tom Laidlaw. Oh, yeah. Well, well, players, well, Laidlaw and Allen. Yeah, podcast. I wanted to get to that, too. Thank and, you for reminding yeah, me. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, the only thing about that, the reason I want to bring this up is because Tom thinks that, that Joe Sackick is crazy like a fox. Like, he thinks this has all been, you know, uh, 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 that he sort of created this to sort of remind uh, Matt Duchesne that he needs to work a little bit harder and get, uh, um, you know, push that talent because he is a very talented player. But, you know, he's a 20-goal scorer. Uh, you know, he's been picked uh, to play for Canada internationally. He's an elite-level player. Right. Uh, and so many general managers have made strong, strong attempts to, to trade for him. Uh, what they say is the uh, Colorado Avalanche want the moon, the stars, and everything else, right. uh, and your firstborn. And uh, <laughs> there is no uh, way they could make that deal. Uh, so, you know, did he ever intend to trade Matt Duchesne? Is he still going to do it? Like, nobody knows. Like, he has been a very, very difficult read. And it reached the point where I think Matt Duchesne is just totally frustrated, and he doesn't know, you know, I, I, I think he would like this resolved. Is he going to be a, a Avalanche player? And right now, he probably um, feels that you know they haven't treated him well. I'm sure he he thinks it would be uh, best if he moved elsewhere. But you know, if I'm Colorado, like they've played well, and now has it reached the point where they shouldn't trade him? You know, they got things going now, and it's um, you know they certainly are not uh, the poor team they were a year ago. I mean, I think you got to reconsider uh, how that Central Division is going to play out, just because. Colorado's going to win some games. Like, I've watched them play, and, uh, you know, they weren't nearly as bad as they showed last season. But, you know, could the Red Wings make it? I don't think they have the assets to get that done. I, you know, I, some of the, the crazy uh, rumors that I've heard about what the, the Avalanche have turned down, I, I don't see that the, you know, for one thing, the Colorado and Detroit want exactly the same thing. Colorado's looking for a difference maker on defense right. for Duchesne, and, you know, you can't trade what you don't have. The, right. You know, the Red Wings. Uh, you know, the same thing with, with Jacob Truba. You know, all those rumors were floating around about uh, uh, Jacob Truba maybe, you know, coming to the Red Wings. I was told by a good source in Winnipeg that there was no fit there. That the Red Wings, other than Dylan Larkin, which they were unwilling to even entertain, um, there was nobody that they really wanted that, that sort of fit. Like, if you're trading a younger player like that, you want a young player in return. And... They just didn't really have anybody that uh, was a good fit. You know, you mentioned Dylan Larkin. Um, let's kind of circle back to the Red Wings very quickly here. Uh, 
you know, again, the old scuttlebutt that the, that the uh, that media do. And when we look at the young Red Wings, uh, Larkin is a tremendous player. Uh, he's turned it around this year. Being back to center, I think it's given him confidence. But the guy that seems to stand out, although he has nights where he will admit he can play better, is Anthony Mantha because he's such a large man. He skates pretty well for being his size. And his shot is absolutely incredible. Uh, if the Red Wings are going to do anything, he, those two guys really, and maybe Martin Furk. Martin Furk is one of those guys that you know, kind of came out of nowhere. Waved last year. Carolina picked him up. Waved him. Detroit picked him back up again. He goes to Grand Rapids. Plays well. He has a great relationship with Blaschel. Dan Cleary tells me it's the hardest shot he's ever seen is Martin Furk. Uh, they need to catch a break on some of these players. And as Jeff Blaschel and to a lesser degree Ken Holland have said, we need some of our young guys to make that next step. I just named three of them, but especially Larkin and Mantha. Have you seen them kind of Evolving and their yeah, game stepping oh, oh, up for sure. I mean, I, we're definitely seeing uh, uh, Manta and Larkin like this year. I mean, the one thing I've noticed about Larkin is how much feistier he is. Yeah, well, yeah, he's got an edge to him this year. Oh, yeah, yeah, and he's feeling it. And you're right on in your analysis of I, the confidence of playing center. And uh, you know, he's pushed last season behind him, and he, you know, he totally lost his confidence. And you know what? You the, the Red Wings probably has to bear some responsibility right. on this. You know, you, 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 you know, and it's a hard call, you know, because he was struggling at center, but when they moved him, it made it worse. And I, I just think he sort of lost his confidence, and now um, he's back. Uh, there's no question Mantha is going to be the player that we think he's. I, I think he's going to be a 25-goal scorer, you know, pretty consistently. I think Larkin, you know, can be the player that, you know, we need him to be uh, in terms of uh, – um, you know, being a guy that can play in the top six and produce uh, points. But, I, you know, the feistiness that he showed this season, you know, gives you reason to believe that, you know, he'll, he'll develop into that, uh, you know, kind of that shot blocking, you know, kind of like Iserman did later mm -hmm. in his career. Right. You know, when he'll do the things necessary to win as opposed to, you know, just putting up, uh, you know, points. Now, I don't want – I'm not bringing this up to embarrass you because I want to ask you, years ago – during the Red and White Authority in its yeah. first incarnation, you made the prediction that Luke Glendening was going to score 20 goals in one season. Yeah. Do you still hold that? Because I, my retort to you was, do you mean his entire career he's going to score yeah, 20 no. or one season? And, you know, and, and Luke is a guy, obviously, is a guy that Red Wing fans kind of like to, uh, you know, kind of criticize at times. But... Uh, you know, he gives them everything that he has out on the ice. So. Yeah, um, I, well, I would say this. I think what happened to Luke uh, Glendening is, is that his, the guy who liked him most is gone. Mike uh, Babcock. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And, um, you know, he was putting him in positions where, like, you know, Chris Draper scored 20 goals right. one year. Right. And I kept pointing that out. And, and I said that I thought if, if he got 20, it would be only one season, but I thought he could. Um, and what did he get that year that I said that? I think he had 13 or so. Or no, right, right, He's right. Around, you, you know, you were, yeah, but, it's something but, that we... But now I'm more in line with you that he might get 20 <laughs> in his, his career. Uh, because, uh, you know, it, it, we're seeing some things, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, on uh, shorthanded situations, he's been alone. And as I watch him going on the goalie, I don't have great confidence that... Uh, 
uh, he's going to score on that uh, play, uh, you know, because he does have some value as a role player. But well, he already has two. So he does have two. So he's uh, and I don't think one of them wasn't on a backhander, isn't that? The, no, yeah, right. That was it. That was it. <laughs> he, he actually yeah. scored that. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not as bullish on uh, um, him as I once was, to be uh, sure. Uh, wrapping it up, look, Toronto, Tampa Bay, or. Pittsburgh out of the East, do you think? What are those? Three? Yeah, oh, oh, for sure. I, I would definitely say that. Uh, the only thing, if you, if you give me a sleep or two, I'll throw in Columbus. Uh, All right. Uh, just because uh, Bobrovsky's a terrific goalie, uh, and uh, Seth Jones and Wierenski, uh get uh, tougher to play against. Uh, you know, every day. Tortorella, you know, is going to have them playing like he used to have the Rangers play. Uh, but I love the Tampa Bay team. I, you know, the uh, Eisman has done a great job of uh, bringing it together. And, and I'm going to say something that will kind of surprise people. But I think Stamkos is a better player now than he was when he was scoring all those goals. I think Kucherov has forced him to be a better all-around center. Like right. you know, before I think he felt like he had to score all the goals. And now he looks, and Kucherov can score like crazy. Right, 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 right. And now he's just concentrating on being an all-around center. Like you know, he's doing it all. I mean, he's passing and everything else. Like, uh, and I, you know, I just like you know everything about that uh, that group. And you know, their defense, uh, um, you know, uh, has has greatly improved in the trade, the Druin trade. Uh, where they picked up, uh, and I'm drawing a blank, the Russian kid. Oh, uh, right, right. I, I, I forget his yeah. yeah, and, he, and, he, and he's, he's, he's scoring. He's, he's, he's scoring, yeah. No, you're going you're to pay a bit of a price because he's young and he's going to make defensive mistakes. But, uh, you know, they can they got enough guys that can handle and, you know, bring in even a guy like Girardi who, you know, it's funny how that works. You know, you get, it's the Larry Murphy syndrome. You know, he's booed out of Toronto and right. then became invaluable because he was a much better fit in, in Detroit, and the same is true of Girardi. Much better fit in terms of just playing his role in Tampa than he was in New York, where they expected a lot more from him. And looking at the West, uh, perhaps uh, L.A., Dallas, I think, is still going to be there maybe in the end, but everybody thought it was going to be Edmonton, and, and they're struggling. Yeah, yeah, and I was on that bandwagon. I just thought that they had turned the corner, but they really haven't. I think that West is more wide open. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody wants to write off, uh, you know, Anaheim because of the injuries. You know, Kessler's hurt, and they've had two, in, you know, three injuries on defense. Even Cam Fowler was hurt as well. But, you know, we forget they could have easily been in the finals. Last right, right, season, that's easily. true. That is you know, a goalie true. injury, uh, you know, who knows what could have happened with that. They could have been, you know, they're a good team as well. But I, I think anything could happen there. I, I really do. Uh, you know, the, you know, who knows? It's really going to come down to injuries and a hot goalie in the West. Uh, there's a lot of teams that are similar um uh that uh you know even chicago that everybody thinks right took a half step back but you know they're, they've been a little better than we thought as well would you be surprised if the vegas golden knights were there in the end i i, I will but you know i they just keep winning you, <laughs> right. you, know, you know like I, I i would be surprised if they were there but you know who knows like you know like they should score enough goals that, that you know, to me, that's the issue. I mean, they've got James Neal, but right. when you look at their roster, um, you know, I keep thinking, oh, where are their goals going to come from? But they, they keep getting them every night. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, like the defense, I think we knew their defense was going to be pretty good. And, right. But, you know, Oscar Dance, uh, you know, did we really think that he, you know, he would be an important player for this team? Well, now he is with Fleury and Subban out. 
Yeah, I got a buddy who lives in Vegas. Well, you know him, Mark Wilson. Yeah. Uh, former Detroit uh, television, you know, they're going to the dance with dance, you know. And, yeah. You know, so, yeah. Um, and, may, and maybe they will. Kevin, I know the, the, the podcast is the Laidlaw and Allen Report. Uh you, you, you know, you're almost rivaling me already in total episodes, and yeah, you get everybody on in hockey. How can fans uh, tune in who have not tuned in? Well, you can find us on. Uh, um, you can subscribe on. Jeez, uh, iTunes. iTunes, um, and uh, you know we're. Uh, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I put out every. Uh, episode as well and we're right you know we're on episode 31 we do twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then we have a bonus and we're going to start doing um sort of some theme podcast and you know I want to do one on fighting it'll be about a three-part episode we're going to interview some of the old-time fighters and talk about uh um you know where fighting is today where it used to be you know tell some stories uh even my, you know, my podcast partner is Tom Lino, a former NHL player who played with the Rangers and the Kings. He played with the Kings, and you know he's, uh, you know, had twenty some fights, and so you know he can speak to it as as well. And then uh, you know we're going to do some, uh, you know, I hope to do one uh, episode with Wayne Gretzky where we just talk uh, for forty five minutes with the great one about uh, you know his career and some of the other uh, things as well. So. Um, I'm excited about it. Yeah, no, it sounds great. I listen to each and every episode. You know, as you know, you're one of my dearest friends. I have enormous amounts of respect for you. Uh, you know, I love you like a brother. That's why I brought up the Luke Glendening Twinkle thing. <laughs> well, I deserve to be. Yeah, I, I, I deserve that slap. You know, I'll take my beatings when, uh, you know, when they're deserved. Right, you know? and uh, and uh, again, not to, not to push it, but... Uh, um, if you're uh, a fan of USA hockey, uh, a lot of Americans starting to really make their move, and uh, this is truly becoming a game that is spread across the nation in the United States. So maybe, maybe all this expansion in Gretzky to Los Angeles was the way to go, and it's paid off. Well, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, I, I talked about the you know the St. Louis explosion, mm -hmm. but there's been a, a also a Florida, um, you know. Uh, Jacob uh, Chikrin and certainly yeah. Red Wing fans, fans know, yeah, yeah. know who he is. He he was developed in Florida, right? Uh, and uh, you know, even though his dad was an NHL player, but you know, he got his start down there. And there were again, it was ex NHL players that you know got the, the program going. But we're getting players now out of Texas and California has a large contingent of players right, and, right. Su and such as well. And you know, the Austin Matthews story is just incredible. Right. Uh, you know the uh, the the son of a, of a Mexican-American, like who would have thought? Like his, his parents, uh, his grandparents, excuse me, um, speak Spanish. Uh, you know, that's their first language, and uh, I don't, I'm not even sure they even speak English, uh, but they you know, live in Mexico. So, you know, it's just a great story, and it just sort of speaks of the uh, the expansion of the game, you know, even beyond the European. And, right. you know, I just uh, ended up... Uh, uh, Kevin Westgarth. I did a story about Oakland University, right. uh, and uh, he has spent a lot of time over in China because you know they're developing right. a relationship with the Chinese Hockey Association, they being the NHL, and uh, you know he's over there all the time. Well, you know it's, it's just another area of growth, I think, for the for the uh, sport. Yeah, I always kind of knew this, but when I started working for the Red Wings, the one thing that I have learned is that hockey is being played somewhere in the world. 365 days a yeah, year. Yeah. Somewhere there's a hockey game going on. Well, that's that's for sure. And, uh, you know, 
people giggled in the old days when uh, you know you saw you know roller hockey in line uh, skating and all that but you know that's created the growth that we see in the warm weather climates as well some of those guys started in uh, you know, in online skating, and suddenly, next thing you know, they're on the ice. You know, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here because uh, the great Gordy Howe, that you know, you knew, I wrote books with him, and I got to know Gordy uh, extremely well. I remember him telling me about inline skating, you know, the the rollerblades and all that stuff, and he said, you know, that's going to promote the game, but he always said, but. It's a different motion than it is when you're skating. He goes, these guys go straight forward, move their arms up and down. He goes, when you skate, you kind of sway. He said, so I don't know if that's going to make them pretty good hockey players. But I said, well, you know, you're Mr. Hockey. You would know. But, uh, but obviously, and you're right. I mean, he could see it, that that was really going to help the game out. And, and it obviously did. Yeah, it's, it certainly did. And, uh, you know, just as Gretzky's arrival in LA just changed that landscape as well uh, you know and people predicted we would take players out of California and we did that right so. we certainly did all right Kevin I, I can go on as you know but I, I want to thank you for doing this uh, you know Rocky was great uh, for yeah. being 150 years old in human <laughs> years uh, your, 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 your beautiful little dog here uh, not so little but uh, I do appreciate it thank you we'll have you on uh, again uh, very, very soon. We'll just keep checking with you throughout the year because I know that uh, people always enjoy getting the, the views and opinions of Kevin Allen. Thank you. My pleasure.